Uh, We are are in our third week of the study of the book uh, of James. Uh, The reason that we are studying the book of James is because we are trying to see what James says about how the gospel should work its way out in the community of believers. And the reality is the, the local visible church, whether it's Redeemer or First Baptist or First Methodist, or whatever church it may be, is either going to be faithful with the gospel uh, or it's not going to be faithful. It's either going to bring life and hope or there's just kind of a hollowness to it. Now, what James is saying in, in the book of James is true faith exists in the life of a believer and the life of a church. Then we actually become like God. We become like Christ. And, and really, when it gets right down to it, that's what we're all longing for, is to, to, to see uh, human beings who actually reflect the very attributes of Christ. And, uh, and so it's, it's, if, if, if we understand this corporately as a people, uh, then actually it'll create a, a, a weightiness among us as a people and bring those who are weightless because they're trusting in all the other things rather than the risen Christ into the fellowship. So that's, that's why we're looking at James. Uh, that's always been my desire for Redeemer since we've been here. Not just say things, because our message is one of many, but that we are actually, if you profess Christ, if we profess Christ, that, that, that we, we become weighty people in our spheres of influence. So that's why we're looking at it. Uh, just felt like I need to say that for all the, you that are visiting. So let's uh, look at James, uh, and I'm going to go back to verse 2, and we're really going to look at verses 9 through 11, but we need to see them in their context. So, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, your word is always challenging because we we all know at some level in our own lives that we are not lining up. Uh, There's no man or woman in this room, including the pastor, uh, who is not in desperate need of Christ. 
And so, Lord, we come in our weakness that we might receive from you. And if there are those who are here who either do not know you and they find their strength in themselves or in their loved ones or in the things of this world, Father, I pray that you would cause him to see uh, the glory of coming in weakness to Christ who is the everlasting God. And Father, yes, once again, we've lived through the week and all of us uh, have not made the thing that's important, important to us. And that, that is those things that are, that are eternal. Uh, Lord, we are indeed one week closer to the day that we enter into eternity. And we need to ask you to give us wisdom to make what is important, important. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And, Father, I pray that by your Spirit that you would use me uh, to encourage all of us to be wise, to not be foolish, but to also know that Christ is our wisdom and our righteousness. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what's interesting about this passage this morning uh, is that it teaches us to boast. In fact, we'll see that in the verse that we're going to look at, he is encouraging uh, both uh, the poor or those who are lower state, maybe less education, those who don't have as much, uh, let's just say, social mobility. And those of you who do, uh, that we are to boast. And actually, it's in the boasting that James is going to speak about in verses 9 and 10 that actually promotes unity and not disunity. And even if you're not a Christian, I I would assume that one thing you long for is just the, 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 the end of the constant bickering. Uh, whether it's at work or whether it's at home. But then you say, and as I thought about this passage, but doesn't boasting strike at the humility that James says that we should have as believers? Uh, For after all, we uh, uh, live in a world that says that boasting um, promotes pride and And pride is the essence of of disunity. Because our pride, my pride, which I have, I still have, and what you have, tends not to be humble. It tends to see its own way. And and again, I can tell you if you've been a redeemer for a long time and the gospel's not creating humility in your life, it's just water off a duck's back. But those who are near you, they, they feel disconnected. Does not, uh, do, don't we see fans who, who boast in, in their teams and, and the worst thing in the world is it not to be beaten by a rival team? How humiliating. Doesn't Paul say that the problem of the church at Corinth was that there were those who were boasting in the different preachers? I, I like Peter's preaching. I like Paul's preaching. I like Apollos' preaching. I like Matt's preaching. I like Rob's preaching. Uh, <clears throat> 
Isn't that what caused disunity? And you had all these different factions within the church that kind of gathered around the things uh, that they boasted about. And so I decided I would look up the word boasting and try to understand the word boasting. Now, usually when I look up a word, it's pretty easy because it goes back to the Greek and the Hebrew. And then I can, because most of our language is the romantic language coming from Latin or, or the Greek language. But you know, th- this has no, no root to it, the word boasting. It just popped up one day uh, in the, uh, around the early uh, 18th century. I mean, 19th century in England. But as I looked at this word, uh, really, it, it was different than the word bragging. Uh, so bragging is always in the negative. So if you're always bragging and you're bragging about yourself and what you've done and how big your church is and whatever it may be, that's always put in the negative and it always promotes yourself. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell with you, because you might not outwardly brag, but what about the promotion of yourself? To put yourself up, to be somebody in the church, or to be somebody at work, or to be somebody anywhere. But boasting can actually be the praise of someone else. So I boast in my wife, Mary Beth. I really do, because if you meet me first, you're not sure. And some of you, come on, admit it. You didn't like me the first time you met me. Then they meet Mary Beth. And because of who she is, uh, people see me in a different light. For this reason, the Greek word that Paul is going to use in verse 9 is the word kashatsko. And it means to exalt. It means uh, to lift up. To boast. And so the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. But far be be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the writer of the Hebrews in in chapter 3 he says. But Christ is over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boast in our hope. Now, as we start looking at this, because he's going to ask both the poor and the rich, the well-to-do, the educated, uh, what they used to call low and high culture, uh, that we are to boast together. And that's going to bring us together. And here's what's the amazing thing about the church. If it functions right, if Redeemer functions right, everybody here should always feel welcome. Because you see, like no other institution in the world, seriously, if you go around the world, and, and, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know, hopefully at least you've seen some of this, it's the place where the poor and the rich can gather together. It's where the employer and the employee can gather together. It's where the, the um, haves and the have-nots can gather together and join in the equality that we have through Jesus Christ, who's our living head, who died for all of us who are sinners. Are you boasting? That's your command. It's actually a command. What do you boast in? 
What's important to you? What is the thing that if it's not boasting about yourself, what is the thing that you lift up that you center your life around? Let me just say, if you're in junior high or you're a high school student, I mean, it's, it's just, and I know it's just part of your age, but I mean, think about it, that what you want to do is be popular. You want to lift yourself up. And then the sad thing about it is when you get lifted up, then everybody doesn't like you because they, you have, you have, circumvented them or you have taken their place and so we're to boast but the question is what is it that you you boast in now James is going to uh to to deal with this because he's saying that we as uh, is uh in all stations of life in the church need to be boasting in the reality that we have the weightiness of him who is eternal in us as we live in a world that's fleeting has anybody discovered the world's fleeting yet this passing away. It's like my daughter told, told somebody, this is not my notes, but I got to tell you this story. It's just like my daughter, we, after church, my daughter uh, lives in Kansas with her four children. She's a beautiful uh, young lady. And uh, so she was visiting, and it was after church, and but hey, Liz, how you doing? And they were just talking about how beautiful she was. <laughs> and they said, you know, you look just like your mother. Your, your mother's beautiful. And Elizabeth, she wasn't trying to hurt my feelings. I was standing next to her. She said, well, my daddy used to be handsome. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, it's better to have been not than not to have been at all. <laughs> okay, now, so, so, okay, so you get, so now we're going to come to verses 9 to 11. And it almost seems like it's disconnected. He starts talking about the poor and rich. But in reality, it's hooked up to verse 2, uh, and it goes all the way back. And then in verse 12, I, I don't think I have it printed here, but verse 12 kind of loops it out where he talks about the various sufferings that we've been through. So, it's, so I want to give a little bit of context, and then I just have a few points, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll close. But here's the context. Christians were suffering because of their faith. They were rejected by the Jews. You understand that. They, so there's these mostly Jewish Christians. They've been rejected. Because in their minds, the, to the Jewish mind, they were a threat to the Jewish faith. I mean, what do you mean you're not Jewish anymore? I mean, so we're the nation. And then they were also rejected by the Romans. Because the Christians said, we serve no sovereign. We don't serve Caesar, but we serve the sovereign Lord. And so they uh, were persecuted, so they had a hard time finding jobs, finding work, and whatever. And so James is writing them to encourage them to hold fast in light of their suffering. Okay? He's going to say, well, even, even though if you're suffering as a Christian, and if you're not a Christian here today, I guarantee you, you long to see Christians who would willing to be willing to suffer for you who are willing to uh, stand apart from society and not be a, uh, a, a Republican or a Democrat or whatever is in the, in the middle, but you're just different. You're different because you're not of this world. You, you, you've already died with Christ, and we'll see this later, and you're already moving on to the world to come in such a way that the weightiness of that is impacting people around you. And if you're not a Christian, I guarantee you, you long to see that. And you know, hopefully you have in some other Christians. So Paul is saying, both to the poor and the rich, consider it pure joy when these trials come. Why? Because you love trials? Because you love your cancer? 
Because you love the fact that you, your marriage is just kind of the, uh, the loveless marriage. Because you uh, love the fact that you're never going to be, uh, you know, six foot four and tall, dark, and handsome. Or whatever it may be. So Paul says, I mean, James says, these various trials have come. And various because they're different for the rich and they're different for the poor. But nonetheless, we as Christians, whatever your station in, is in life, you're going to suffer. Amen? You are probably, I would guarantee you, the majority of the believers here today are under affliction. And, uh, and if you're not under affliction, it's not going to take long. Because if God loves his people, he wants us to be completed. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean perfect, perfect. It means that you and I can become like Jesus, who was a human being and remains a human being in heaven. We just need to be more Jesus on this planet. And so he says, that's going to happen. And then he says, okay, but when it does happen, and maybe you're, you're, you're going through it right now. I mean, I say it's funny. I look at all your faces as your pastor. And I don't know some of you, okay? But I look at you too. And I think, man, I wonder what you're going through. Or I know what you're going through. But he says this, when you're sucker punched by life, and remember last week we said you're in the ring. You're in the ring. Okay, everybody here is in the ring called life. And there are different rounds in the ring. But if you're going to make it and endure to the end, it's going to be the, by the grace of God. And it's going to be because Christ has already lived that life for you. But nonetheless, we must walk the way he walked. And man, when you get sucker punched, and, and you don't know, well, wait a minute. I, I can't believe this is happening. I, I just got through this, and now I have this, and now I have this. Does anybody feel that this morning? You're going, I can't believe my life. God, where are you in all this? Then he says, ask for wisdom, doesn't he? If you lack wisdom, he doesn't say change your circumstances, but anyone who lacks wisdom, it says that God will answer you. And then it tells us why God will answer us. It says, because he is generous. Remember last week we said single-minded. That's the word for generous. Jesus Christ single-minded for you if you're his. Jesus Christ willing to be single-minded for you if you begin to realize that your mind is scattered everywhere. So he is generous through grace. But not only that, it says, and without uh, reproach. He doesn't say, yeah, but how you did that last week? Can anybody, is anybody come in here and go, I don't even know why I'm here because I'm just so messed up. I did it last week and I'm probably going to do it this week. You know what? God says he will give you wisdom to move forward through suffering. <laughs> you might be complete. And if you keep saying, Lord, I don't want all this stuff. I want you. I want to be like Christ. I want to be a man or a woman who bears the image of Christ. That's what I want. He says he will give it to you generously, which literally means eternally. Do you believe that? Do you ask for it? I preached on that last week. Did you ask for wisdom this week? Let me ask you. Or you just go, whoa, I, I hang on. It, does that mean I have to have more trials? Let me think about that. Well, I would say yes. Okay? But God who gives generously and without reproach. So he's saying the reason we should ask for wisdom is because ultimately that's what to lift Christ up in our lives that men might be drawn to him that's the sign of being a believer 
It's not moralism. It's not try harder, be good, the killer bees. But then he says, God will give generously. But then he gives a condition to this. You understand, there is a condition. He says, but he who doubts and is double-minded. It's not talking about intellectual doubt. But it's talking about being double-minded, the opposite of God being single-minded, that his life is given for him, for you. But your life, ladies and gentlemen, is not given to him. You're not single-minded in the reality that, oh, he is generous. He will forgive. He is better than life because if anyone knew me and how stupid I was down deep, they would reject me. He won't. I'm going to tell you, if you're tuning out on me at this point right now, I, I have, you really need to kind of perk back up here because he's going to have an admonition to you who want to put your hope in things. Things, you see. How, the, uh, think of how stupid it is at one level. I'm going to go ahead and go there. Isn't it a little bit stupid to put all your, uh, you know, all your efforts and your bank accounts and all these things? <laughs> and it says, and while the guy's busy about his business, boom, he's taken away. But I don't get ahead of myself. So, but he says, uh, now he comes to our section, which is still connected, and he's saying, by the way, here is a situation that relates to this. The poor and the rich. Because both need wisdom. And then he says, here's how we're going to get wisdom. Well, and by the way, if, if, you, if you make over $15,000 a year, uh, you're like 97% or 5% above the wealth of the world. Okay? Like if you're saying, man, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't make but about 70000 a year. And I can't do this and that and the other. Well, you're way ahead of the game. Uh, most people, I heard, heard over a billion people make less than a dollar a day. So, it, it, so maybe we're all the rich, but nonetheless, in comparison to each other, there's some who are richer than others, there's some who are smarter than others, uh, there's some who are prettier than others. And so the way that we are to be encouraged is to gather, and the poor is to boast, and the wisest to boast, I mean, the, and the richer to boast. And so here's the point. Boasting of the poor, the boasting of the rich, and a motivation for both. So the poor, the boast, y'all see that? If you feel like you're poor and your circumstances are overwhelming and you're not going to pay the RS and you don't, know, you don't have any savings. As a matter of fact, I heard that the majority of Americans, well over a half, are, have only $400 in savings. Maybe that's you. And you feel poor. And man, it's tough because you've, you've been driving the same car and then you got some classmate over here at college who's driving a BMW. That's tough, isn't it? Isn't that hard? I remember when Mary Beth and I were doing campus ministry at Vanderbilt. And uh, so we had one of the babysitters come over and our car broke down, had us old beat up Subaru. Well, poor me. I don't mean it that way, but... Uh, so, so uh, seven car broke down. I want to take my wife out. And uh, so I asked the student if I could borrow their, their car. Then I'm paying $10 an hour. Babysit. They said, absolutely. So I walk out and it was $75,000 Mercedes. <laughs> and, and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute. What is, what's wrong with it? They're, they're 19 years old. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation. 
What? This is absolutely contrary to the world's value system. The world despises or at least pays very little attention to the poor, doesn't it? The less educated. It's easy to prove. Um, and, and by the way, I, I'm not going to say this to make you feel guilty because I don't do it either as I should. But when's the last time you, uh, last time you had fellowship with a poor person? Or somebody, uh, like if you're a junior high or senior high student, when's the last time you got together with, with a student and said, hey, listen, why don't you come on over and let's go to the movies together because they are unpopular. Because nobody wants to be around them, but you, 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 know, you kind of have a heart for it. But you know what? That tends not to be our perspective. In fact, when you go uptown, about every corner, there's someone, and it's always difficult, there's someone... Uh, who is, uh, you know, asking for food, asking for money, right? Y'all have seen him up there. Now think about how many people you've seen having fellowship with them. How many people are going, hey, man, could you give me some financial advice? Could you give me some wisdom? You know why? Because you're, you're looking at them and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking it's probably drugs. It's probably stupid decisions they've made in their life. Come on, you've said that. How many stupid decisions have I made? How many stupid decisions have you actually made but God in his grace has covered your base without anybody ever finding out? So he's saying, okay, so if you're lowly, exult in that. Now again, think about being that person up on the street corner while ever they're up there, think about what it's like to be them and to be ignored. Nobody's saying, hey, man, how are you doing? Uh, let's sit down and talk to you. How, you know, where are you from? Where did you get educated? Because they're creating the image of God, aren't they? Aren't they value in the eyes of God? But we, we don't count them as valuable. Why? Because we live in a world that's everything about exalting in yourself and your performance and what you've earned and your degrees... As though we earned it. And you might say, well, heck, I, I did earn it. Well, you had to be alive to earn it. You didn't ask to be here, did you? Maybe your mom and dad were wealthy or maybe, uh, you know, uh, and I'm not saying we don't work hard. I mean, I work hard. I worked hard on the sermon. But even if it's a good sermon or, or if, if it's not a good sermon, whatever, but whatever we have is a gift, is it not? And, and so, but here's what Paul is saying. To people who are lower than that, people who are servants, because there was no middle class, and ladies and gentlemen, everybody in here is probably hitting somewhere around middle class. They're servants. Nobody went to that servant and said, um, how's your day? What can I do for you? How's your health care plan? And I want to tell you something. Those poor people back then, they didn't go, go, hey, why don't we become activists and let's be a little bit more equal about these things. They were born slaves and they would die slaves. So why is it that they should 
the poor should exalt. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus says, few there be that are rich that will enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say none. But, but what about the poor person? Well, the, the poor person, the, the, they, the, there are no options that are out there. So why should they exalt and their loneliness? Because, ladies and gentlemen, God comes to those who are broken and needy. Now, through their poverty, and again, you say, what does that mean? That economically poor people? Well, I'll say this. Some of the most bitter people I've ever met are poor. Because they don't understand what to exalt in. But when a person, nobody accepts them, everybody rejects them, and then the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to a person who's absolutely needy, and they submit to that, and they know Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what? Exalt in that. You're not going to be here long. Now, before I come to, to the second point, I would say, my, when I grew up, and I, I've told many of y'all about a woman who worked in her home. I was old enough to wear the, the, a black woman named Annie Mae Brooks. Lived in our home. And an unbelievable woman who I thought initially, well, she's got a sixth grade education. But then as I began to see there was a depth about her life that my mom and dad and none of us had, my friends and the doctors and the lawyers, there was a depth and a wisdom about her. And I'm going to tell you why there was. is because she knew that being a black woman in 1950s and 60s, that was it. Growing up under Jim Crow. But rather than being bitter about it, knowing that she couldn't change it, she began to live for the world to come. And she knew she had it because she knew she was a sinner. Because she knew she saw the bitterness of her own heart and confessed her sin. And she lived that life. There was a weightiness about that woman. And she exalted in her poverty. You people have what you want. I have Jesus. You see? But then he tells the, the rich. That would probably be most of us in here. To exalt in your humiliation. And that's what he says. Exalt in your humiliation. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, some commentators think he's talking about two different kinds of people. The poor brother and then the rich person. But in reality, as I looked at this thing, I think he's talking, well, I don't think, I'm pretty much certain of it. He's talking about the rich Christian. And, and because there's plenty of scriptures that say, it's not, it doesn't say take away from this person, give to that person, whatever. And I'm not making a political statement. He's saying to the rich, I warn you. Do not trust in your riches, but be generous and give. Isn't that a great, uh, isn't that a great uh, <laughs> uh, burden on your back to, to have a lot of money? And ask, what am I doing that money? I'm laying it up. I'm laying it up. I'm going to build a bigger barn. And the Lord says, you fool. The Lord required your soul tonight. You're in the business of getting more and accumulating more. So you can leave to your kids. They're going to blow it anyway, probably. The vanity of things. So how is a rich person to boast in his humiliation? Let me tell you what the humiliation was for those rich people back then. They gave their life to Christ. 
And they said, in all my riches and all my accomplishments and all the things I have, they mean nothing because I am a sinner and I'm no different than my poor brother. And so are they boast in, and what should you boast in, and what should I boast in? Because I would consider myself very wealthy compared to the world. I should boast in the humiliation of Christ because the cross of Jesus Christ says to all the bad people up there on the street corner who ruin their lives, they need Christ. And the cross of Jesus Christ says to all you people who are here and people like me that think we're wonderful people, we got our PhDs and we got this, da 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 He says, and it says, the cross says, and you're that bad too. Now I want to encourage you right now before I close. If you are a person who's been living for wealth and living for this world, acknowledge how foolish it is But believe that God is generous to you too. And you come and say, you know what? I am so self-righteous. I I love the fact that I'm a professional of some sort. That I'm recognized as some. That I'm the best preacher in the PCA. Me and Tim Keller. (laughs) For you, I don't know Tim Keller. That's an inside joke. Go listen to the sermons, not mine. But, you know, and God will receive you. That rich man, what should we, what should we boast in? Our, the, the, you know, I'm identified with Jesus Christ. So Paul says, the life I now live, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Amen? So then the last thing, there's an admonition for both. And I'm, all I'm going to say, I've kind of already said it. Oh, foolish man. Oh, foolish woman who cares about how beautiful you are and your granite sinks. Or you men who who uh, care about the gun club. and that's, that's just fine, by the way. I got granite sinks. No, I don't have granite sinks. Yeah, I do up in my small bathroom upstairs. But I have a nice house, okay? I'm not. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. You understand that? But don't live for those things. For he says this, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass that pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Don't you see the love of God to you today? To just go, look, you're going to rot in a grave one day. I mean, where are you going to be 500 years from now? You're going to be dead. Now, you're either going to have the life of Christ United to him in his resurrection, or you will be given over to the things that you want in a place called hell, which you have all your stuff, but no relationships. Not us who are believers. I'm going to close with this illustration. I'll make it quick because I want to, okay? It's an incredible. I, so here's my conclusion. Uh, y'all know that st- the, the, the Dancing with the Stars thing? The, okay, so. So you go in, and, and the, the best part of the show is at the beginning when people go in and they think they're really good, right? And they're kind of laughing at them. And, uh, and I remember my brother's in the music business, and people would give me tapes to, to give to my brother. Hey, your brother's in the music business? Seriously, give me a little, four, the little box tape. And I would listen to it, and I'd go. I remember one time I gave back to somebody and said, and that's hilarious. I thought they were kidding. And they were like, what do you mean? Uh, and, but anyway, so... So they make fun of these people, you know. So here comes this guy, and they ask him where they're from. And this guy comes in. He's a skinny old fella, and, he, you know, he has rotten teeth and, and uh, you know, a little hat. And, and, they, they, and they, immediately they're rolling their eyes, right? 
And I said, where are you from? I said, hey, you know, Kentucky. And so they started asking about himself. And they're like, oh, brother, you know. Uh, okay, go ahead and get it over with. They didn't say that, but that was the, the attitude. And then he started playing. And you know what? It was unbelievable. They were mesmerized. What was coming out of that little Hicks? Mouth. Okay. Now, why did I tell you that story? Colossians says, we as Christians, we're already seated with Christ. We're already there. So set your mind on things above. And when he appears, what you will be will be revealed. So we're kind of like the old hit Kentucky guy. But man, he starts singing in his life. And then one day, we'll all be hicks from Kentucky. No, but one day, we'll all be rejoicing together and singing. So come to Christ. Put your faith and hope in him. He's good and generous. Let's pray together.